Hello and welcome to a groundbreaking episode of the Popmosis Film Podcast, where you hopefully, if this all goes well, see us as we always see each other, even though we're remote, we always see each other, but we're actually recording that video so you can see our beautiful faces for the first time. So let's just celebrate that. And so I am, as always, I am Josiah. I'm always Josiah. And I am joined by Tyler and my buddy, Paul. Not just like Tyler, that, that implies Tyler's not my buddy. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> my buddy's love buddy. Tyler. This <laughs> <laughs> dude, Tyler, and then this person paul so i'm joined by my two buddies tyler and paul so thank you guys always for being here so whenever i, I was a kid so we're going to talk about my favorite movie which i will just tell you now it's empire strikes back if you're watching this it's in the title empire strikes back so i don't need to like hide the, the lead on that one you can see it in I, my shirt in this video i heard a rumor that it's part of the star wars franchise we'll get to that but don't spoil anything for anyone oh. <laughs> if you haven't seen this movie don't listen to this podcast by the way go watch the movie obviously <laughs> Um, but so in the like late eighties, early nineties, VHS wasn't uh, like, it was out there, but they were sometimes hard to get. Right. So I didn't have a copy of the star Wars trilogy that I could buy because I think at the time that until they had like the special editions, they had the CBS Fox versions and those were not easy to get. Like, at least for me in my world, right. Like in somewhat rural Pennsylvania, you learn about that in the Dawn of Dead episode where I came from. And I so what I had was they would show them like on like NBC Sunday night movie so like they would show like I, maybe over the weekend or like each week they would show one of the trilogy and I actually have a prop with me it's not the exact tape but a VHS tape wow this one actually says special effects show so this is from the same era probably the making of like different movies like The Empire Strikes Back I don't have that tape anymore because eventually I did get a VHS copy of it but the the significance of all this is the fact that I didn't have Star Wars. For whatever reason, I only had Empire and Return of the Jedi. So as a kid, I would watch those two movies over and over and over again and I didn't and I had wow. I'd seen Star Wars but I didn't have access to it. So I just watched those over and over and over again, particularly Empire. So like that's kind of how it started for me with Star Wars, literally with Empire. And I probably had seen Star Wars but at that time, my memory of it was really vague. And kind Actually, of I, I think I'm in the same boat as you. I think, because I, I remember Luke, I'm your father, and I remember more of the Darth Vader stuff and Yoda. Then I actually remember actually watching A New Hope. I, I actually think I'm in the exact same boat as you where I watched Empire before, if not way more than Star Wars. So. Same here. I might have even guarantee you that I saw the original Star Wars before I saw Empire. I cannot say for sure. I'm sure that I yeah. did, but I don't really remember it that way. Yeah. So that's just my sort of backwards experience on The Empire Strikes Back. So You know, I kind of had an odd experience. Like, the first time I saw any Star Wars was uh, Return of the Jedi in the theater. And I remember, I, I don't know, it must have been a re-release or something. Because I just remember that I heard the Millennium Falcon roaring, and it freaked me out, and I started crying. And my dad had to take me out of theater. But I remember that was yeah, my first experience with Star Wars. When it came out in 1997, Paul's talking about, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was a very sensitive boy. <laughs> no, the, I, but, the Family Story is my first movie as well. Like uh, Being little was Return of the Jedi. And I was like there as a baby because my parents kind of had to take me. Yeah, my so, first one in theaters was uh, Phantom Menace, so, yeah. Oh, there you go. 
Oh, I'm sorry, man. (laughs) I loved it when I was a kid. I loved it when I was a kid. I loved it so much. But what I I still don't mind it. We'll we'll save that for. I know we'll get to that in the podcast. Yeah, I know, right? So, because I don't. Yeah, I'm I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'll save it. But what I want to do is sort of take us back in time, right? To it is 19. Not even 80. Let's say it's 78, right? What is Star Wars? Uh, At that time, you had the holiday special. You had things like that because movies were different back then, the way they were released. It wasn't like now where, obviously now it's different with COVID, but I mean, in terms of the way releases are, it kind of, think about it just pre-COVID where it would come out, big blockbuster event. A few months later, it would be, you know, disc or now streaming or what have you, right? Back then, it was the event of the movie and you kind of moved on with your life. Because this is before VHS was even really prevalent in the 80s. That's when that happened. And that kind of changed things as kind of more how we know it today. But at the time, it was just like gone. It's like kind of the idea, how do you keep a movie in the consciousness of the audience, right? And so George Lucas tried to do that, knowing that people, like, that eventually he wanted to make a sequel. He actually originally wanted to make 12 sequels per Time magazine in 1978 that uh, there were going to be 12 sequels that was reported in time and also reported in Bantha tracks, the official star Wars magazine. So it was like this big vision at the time. And then by like, why the, Bantha max? I don't understand. Bantha tracks. Bantha tracks. Oh, yes. okay. That makes so, way more sense. That's like, <laughs> it's a big, big Bantha. So yeah, big Bantha but, and then the, the tracks of the, yeah, I got it. So there were some things at the time, you know, that George Lucas was trying to do. Uh, but again, with those movies were not, it wasn't meant to be like the saga as we know it. It was more going to, it was going to yeah. be much more serialized and they were going to just be thrown out there. Like there was going to be the Wookiee movie on the Wookiee planet, which kind of became the end of Return of the Jedi, plus a little bit of the Star Wars holiday special where they eat Wookiees horrify you for like 40 minutes at the beginning. Oh my God. What are you talking about? <laughs> Chewie's son is like the coolest character in Star Wars canon. Uh, is it, is it itchy? Hands down. He's itchy, right? Uh, and I don't know. Like I'm going to. Yeah, Lumpy and itchy. I'm going to look. And, and Mala, I think his mom. So, but think about it, right? At that time. I'm that looking it up right now. You were getting your, that was how you were getting your Star Wars fix because it wasn't a regular thing. And one other thing that George Lucas did that was very significant was. Uh, he commissioned a book to be written. So George Lucas, as we know, is kind of a very pessimistic person. And he had just assumed that Star Wars was going to just fail hugely, yeah. uh, just be a massive failure. So he commissioned Alan uh, Dean Foster, who wrote the novelization of Star Wars as well, to write a book. And that is Splinter of the Mind's Eye. So this was the original sequel to Star Wars that was released in 1978. So this is one of those things that kind of keep the audience's attention. But it served two purposes. So in 75 or 76, he met with Alan Dean Foster when he had him write the novelization based on the script for what we became known as A New Hope, which back then was not known as A New Hope, right? He had Alan Dean Foster uh, come up with, worked on an outline for this and, you know, kind of gave him some general information about Star Wars. Yeah. And there's some things in here, like it's on a swamp planet and things like that. There's sort of Han Solo's not in it because he was under contract. It's Princess Leia. That, the idea was this book could be made if it wasn't a big blockbuster, but as long as it made money as a low budget sequel. Uh, for example, oh, wow. Alan D. Foster wanted to have a space battle, but George Lucas said no space battles because we wouldn't be able to afford that. So it wasn't included. And also, Luke and Leia are really into each other in this book. 
Oh. <laughs> it's like definitely Whoa. the whole like did Lucas plan for them to be siblings? This book would say definitely not. And if he did, I mean, it, I mean, honestly, Foster. We have Game of Thrones, so you know it's not like it's just, that would be like well, the most shocking thing in the world to us <laughs> at this point. Yeah, but again, I know I'm just joking. I was making a joke. We're definitely making a joke there. Oh, I'm literally like that. Bad, it's not like the first episode of Game of, Game of Thrones. Graphic, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, I'm saying like heavy flirtation. Heavy. Flirtation. So I'm wondering after Empire came out, uh, did that uh, it, was that not canon anymore? Like it was. Well, it, it, it was still canon up until Disney bought it. So oh, okay. It was still canon. So it was like one of the uh, legends or something. Now or... Yeah, now it'd be considered legends. Yeah. yeah. So if you like, yeah. if you got okay. this book today, it had that little legends tag. So, but uh, it's a, it's an interesting book, and it's like the first like legit standalone Star Wars thing that you know came out. But that was the goal of that, right? To preserve Star Wars because this was a time, and why I want to sort of think about at least for the beginning of this you know, not talking about Phantom Menace or any other movies for a bit is because this is where Star Wars was really being shaped um, into what we know it. And it was very like the vision, the sort of the narrative that George Lucas and Lucasfilm kind of created over the years was this master plan. And I don't think it was that like Mm. there was one, but it wasn't, I don't think he knew exactly where he was going to go. I think he had a certain vision and things, but I don't think like, you know, the whole Luke and Leia thing. I don't think he knew that. Like the Vader being dad thing. I don't think he knew that until he was developing this movie. Like the, he figured things out. And that's the way stories are told. When you work on something as a writer, you develop it, you change it as you go because until it's the final product. And George Lucas even will talk about, you know, with special editions and whatnot, was changing up until he sold them to Disney, like every chance he got. I mean, look so, at I mean, look at Homer with the Iliad and you know the Odyssey. It was just people trying to return home, and then also when he started talking about you know working at a at a power plant, you know it gets boring. You have to fabricate a little bit. That was a really stupid joke. I'm sorry. I thought I, 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 thought, I can't follow that. I thought I thought it was a great joke. Apparently, I was very mistaken. <laughs> Note to future Tyler: Edit this out. Not going to. I don't no. even know if it qualifies as a joke. That's the real question. <laughs> it was it was dough. It was definitely a dough moment. <laughs> but that's why we're. I have do I have I have a Homer Simpson behind me that can just be he's with you in this moment. Thank so, you. He um, would laugh. But so that's kind of what I wanted to do and why I wanted to bring that book in, just to kind of sort of frame our thinking at, at the beginning. Because um, to me, the most interesting thing about Empire is how it was developed and how it changed. And we'll mm. talk more about it as we go. And I have certain questions to kind of guide us. But first, of course, my favorite part of this is the sort of the movie stat portion. So, and then we'll get on with it. So Empire Strikes Back released on June 20th, 1980. Actually, for, uh, let me go backwards. It was released on May 21st, 1980 with a wide release on June 20th, 1980. Um, it was directed by Irving Kirshner, who was one of Lucas's professors at USC. And he hadn't really done anything hugely significant, like not a movie like this. Um, like his yeah. most famous movie was, uh, I believe, a re- the Return of a Man Called Horse. That would have probably been his biggest film, and he did some other things. He was basically like a he was a Hollywood director, but you know, on the lower end of Hollywood. That's why yeah. he was teaching. He wasn't like a big time director, and that's but Lucas hired him. He was a, like I said, a stru- an instructor at USC. The screenplay yeah. was uh, the story was based uh, written by George Lucas, who also wrote some of the drafts of the script. Um, and it was written, the, 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 the screenwriting credits are Lee Brackett, who wrote The Big Sleep, Rio Bravo with Howard Hawks, these old school Hollywood movies. Um, and George Lucas actually hired her, 
not realizing she wrote those, but he hired her because she wrote like all these like pulp books and sci-fi stuff in like the forties and fifties when he was a kid, he read all this stuff and he didn't know it was the same person. Like he just wanted that person. And she actually passed away uh, on March 17th, 1978, which I believe is just a few weeks after handing in her draft of the script. So her draft was dated like February that year. And she passed away just a few weeks later. She actually had cancer as she was working on it. And so from things I read with George Lucas, they changed it a lot as they went forward. And really her work isn't in there because from what I've read, it seems like the structure was laid out by George Lucas and she kind of filled in the gaps. And then when the subsequent revisions by Lucas and then later Lawrence Kasdan, it changed a lot, but he kind of, as a tribute, gave her credit. So then of course, Lawrence Kasdan is the other person. And yeah. so, um, and it was produced by uh, George Lucas, executive producer and Gary Kurtz. Uh, and Gary Kurtz was very much the boots on the ground on this one. Lucas was not on set for this film being made. That's an important thing. He was out in California setting up the company and working with ILM. Yeah. So that's a yeah, significant factor right. in why this movie is what this movie is. George Lucas had his creative influence without being the creative, for lack of a better word, dictator, I would say. Um, and I also want to mention the cinematography by Peter Shosinski, um, because I think it's the most beautifully shot Star Wars film by a mile. Uh, he directed, he also did uh, his DP for Rocky Horror. He has like a huge, <laughs> his credits just look the amazing uh, cinematographer. But this film really like it's just a film of just these beautiful contrasts where you have like this bright white of Hoth and the interiors yeah. where everything's sort of like shadowy and kind of backlit and like the machines are lighting you know like kind of like my computer's lighting my face to record this things like that this like this blue light on people and in these corridors and things and it's just this contrast of like you know when you look at cloud city inside versus the sort of the magic hour look it has outside that kind yeah. of world that he created beyond any other star wars movie but i think this movie is truly the collaboration of three key creative individuals, George Lucas, Irvin Kirshner, and uh, Lawrence Kasdan. <laughs> Wait, can I, can I interject with that, though? I, I, I'm so sorry. I still have to give all Star Wars credit to Marsha Lucas. Without her, Star Wars would have been an ungodly nightmare. Uh, that, especially the first film, but by this point, um, from the things that I've read, the sort of the maybe the more salacious stuff yeah her and lucas were a little bit more on rocks at this point they would oh. be divorced, they would be divorced by the time return of the jedi came out so yeah, i think yeah. after i think they were married to like 83 or 84 or something yeah like, that. like right in that range um and like i think they were kind of on that trajectory but she was definitely hugely significant especially for the first film yeah. But, like, she didn't edit this film. She did help edit the first film. So, yep. like, her influence was there. And her influence was really big, um, like, really pushing George with the, the revision process um, on writing the, the previous I, one. I, I thought she was the one who convinced him to not direct the second one, I thought. No, no. He, um, during the first film, he had almost a heart attack. He had hypertension, had to go to the hospital. Yeah. And then just Whoa. decided not to direct it. He, he actually gave up directing forever. He didn't want to direct again. Yeah. And he, he didn't until the, the special. He was like, THX, like, yeah, THX and Star Wars, I'm out. And then. Well, American Graffiti. American Graffiti. American Graffiti. Oh, that's yeah, right. Like, American Graffiti. Yeah. Forgot and, about American and, and Graffiti. Like a, and, and like a documentary about a Coppola film that I've never seen. I've seen the documentary, not the Coppola film. Um, so <laughs> uh, that. So basically, after um, like Lee Brackett's draft, for example, uh, Anakin is not the dad. Luke's dad appears as a ghost, separate person, right? 
Um, in the second draft, Lucas wrote, and in the third draft, uh, Lawrence Kasdan wrote. So Lawrence Kasdan was hired because he had a, a script at the time, which was really hot, which was in, made into a movie called Continental Divide, which the movie is not great. It's okay, good movie, but it was like the big hot script. So that's what kind of was getting him work was this big spec script. And it got made a few years later and he was working on Raiders of the Lost Ark. So he was hired for that. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then Lee Brackett passes away. George Lucas doesn't pass at it. And he's not really, he doesn't like writing. He'll say this over and over again. He hates the process. And he's like, can you do a pass at it to Lawrence Kasdan? And Lawrence Kasdan, who had spent like a year working on that script, had like six weeks to do a draft of this one. And he did a draft. Oh, my God. And he really was the one who brought in a lot of the character stuff. Um, I think you have what you have is the vision of Lucas plus the the character and the filmmaking ability of Kirshner. And it just really came together well. So that is sort of all the, the framing stuff I, I have to get yeah. us up to snuff. And that, that's why I think it's important to how we view this movie, because it's hard to not see it how we see it, having seen yeah. like everything, knowing that Disney's done what they've done and on and on and on. All the, you know, the, the, the canon books that are no longer canon that like kind of like we grew up with as canon fiction that it's not that wasn't star wars then it was it was a couple of books like this a holiday special and then yeah this a movie failed and, a failed holiday special yeah and a movie that george lucas uh put up the risk financially he took all the risk everything he owned he had to put up as collateral so all the risk was on him and it was a uh, i think they had like a 25 million dollar budget i've i've read 18 I've also read 35, but I think I've heard 25 million from a documentary with Kurt, uh, Gary Kurtz. So I'm going to go with that number. Um, it opened at 5 million, which doesn't seem like much, but again, it was that sort of staggered release that they did at that time. Uh, the domestic at the time was 209 million. Global was 400 million. And just recently with a re-release this year, it passed 550 million. So wow. because of these subsequent releases that they got up to there, but uh it was a big risk, you know, a sci-fi sequel at that time when you didn't have it on sort of the radar all the time. So the movie, I'm the structure guy. So we're kind of going to, I want to look at it in terms of uh, the three key acts. It's a very much, it's like, you know, George Lucas will always say it's the third act in the drama, right? And, it, and this movie is very much broken into those three acts. It holds very well to the three act structure. Act one is Hoff, where you kind of establish character and the the sort of the setting and the action also then act two is the dagobah slash asteroid chase where you have the training and the escape for han and the other crew and of course the romance develops and then uh, you have in act three cloud city for the confrontation so it kind of fits nicely into that structure so i'm like passed out from all this information i have like my no i'm like i like these like i mean it's star wars i mean it's just it's information overload no matter what brought the cup my my vintage empire strikes back cup here (laughs) it's uh it should be filled with beer or something but it's just water or coffee it should probably be filled with coffee that's what i need about it i got a pipe that's full of waters here so (laughs) okay (laughs) so let's talk about the structure of the film. What do you think of the decision to flip the film in terms of the action where the first film ends with the big climax of the, the yeah. battle. This one starts with the big battle and then gets smaller as it goes. What do you guys think of that? I think it's a good dynamic. I think it's, uh, I mean, <laughs> okay. It, it's so hard to compare and talk about this movie in my opinion, uh, because of 
it's so different watching it now where we have watched so many movies that are like it or that have stolen ideas from it where it's kind of decent it's it's yeah it's kind of i it's it's not as grand i guess and like how it would have been watching it for the first time out of nowhere in a movie theater and, and like i i would grow up with this movie and like you know on repeat or whatever whenever my dad would be watching it and i'd watch it with him and I would like remember the main parts, like Luke, I am your father, and stuff like that. So when I got older and rewatched it upon viewing, I had already had the spoiler myself, if not from me watching it because of my dad, or just from watching any movie at all, because every movie makes a reference to it. It seems like nowadays, especially any comedy movie, um, it's really hard to kind of say the an impact on it. But what I can say is, from my experiences of watching it it's kind of like a sigh of relief where star Wars is like you said, it has this big grand opening thing where this one is more of a transitional film, but not only that, a great standalone film in the process as well. So starting off like big and bold and getting you like, like really like getting your attention and to only to tell you all these amazing stories and all these like romance or character, uh, um, you know, like characters that are building and then Yoda just, that's all I have to say is just Yoda. Like, it just it all works and it flows so well and i i kind of like the fact where it's not just a copy sequel unlike so many <laughs> sequels that we get where they're just copies of the movie before um you know not not calling out episode 7 um but yeah <laughs> but yeah that's that that's why i think i like about it is that it was different um, it was different, but familiar, but also really, really, really big on world opening and doing something differently with great, amazing quality, as opposed to just being a continuation and rehashing, like episode and quick, seven. And a quick side note, like uh, sci-fi at the time, particularly sequels, like if you look at like the Planet of the Apes movie, yeah. even though the first one was successful, they all got cheaper. Yep, and they yeah. put less money into it. And this, you know, is a, one of the rare examples at that time where it's a sequel that they're putting more money into. Yes, yeah. that was different. You know, it's very putting, rare. Yeah, yeah. I'd have to say that uh, as far as making a sequel, it did the smart thing in that it um, did the more personal journey, more inward kind of um, spiritual journey of Luke to become a Jedi. Uh, because yeah. there's always a temptation with a sequel to get to go bigger. Have more explosions, do the same thing but bigger. And I think the reason why this movie works so well is because it resisted that temptation to do it. And uh, you know, they expanded the the world and um, you know, uh built the universe of Star Wars or the galaxy. Uh and you know, didn't really explain the force, but kind of gave you a deal what the force is. Yeah. They expanded all the ideas of, of the original Star Wars. Uh, in very thoughtful and uh, impactful ways that um, still resonate today. But, you know, it's still uh, like so much about this movie just is resonates and just does things. So it's almost like a lost art watching this movie uh, because it just does so many things right. And the way it's even constructed, it just, it's just it's, uh, it's brilliant. Um, so I, I love the fact that... Uh, you know, if you think about it, Star Wars was mostly about Luke. It was Luke's journey from yep. you know, he wants to become a Jedi. He well, t- you know, destroys the Death Star. And then this is like it's really this movie is more 
it kind of shares a story with all the rebels. Like all the rebels and Hoth have a role yeah. to play. You know, like there's that one Rogue Two pilot that finds Han and, and Luke and rescues them. You know, Wedge Antilles yeah. is the one to to be the first to use a tow cable to knock down the Adats. It's like everybody in the Rebel think, Alliance think, works together. I think it's Hobby. Hobby, I think, is the guy that finds them real quick. And then, like, the, like I found them. Repeat, I found them. And like, yeah. And he's like, yeah. But I, yeah. I, I really like that it's like everybody has a role. And that, like, Lucan and Leia are one of many people in the Rebel Alliance. Like, yes, these are our main characters, but all, these other people are important too. And they form what the Rebel Alliance is. And they, they work intelligently. Like, uh, even. I, you know, you know, it's really ballsy to put everything in white, especially with stop motion and, and visual effects, because you can see all the the uh, the flaws in in white. Yeah. Like that's very ballsy to do that, and the fact that they did do it and, and it's like very convincing is a, is an amazing visual visual feat. Can I can I say something? Uh, gonna go back on as to what you're saying. I actually kind of a little bit disagree what you were saying about the force. I think with this movie, it actually made it a lot more um mysterious where in the first movie it was just like okay this old this old guy and this person can just do some fantastical things where this movie it kind of like especially with yoda he's just like you can do all these other things and it just shows you the more power about it like you said I mean, you did say that it didn't explain it at all, but for but you also said that it also made more sense for the audience where i think it left the audience basically being like what is luke not capable of what is darth vader because at this point we don't even really know what a sith is at this point we've heard the word sith a couple times we don't even know what the hell they are so everybody's just like well what is darth vader then what is luke what is what is luke and then you find out that they're related so then you're like is darth vader a jedi is a sith just a jedi and the and the like and then that's what kind of dives into it asks questions where books or even I, th- I don't even know if return of the jedi even really answers the question of a sith except for you know except for the emperor being like ah join the sith whatever uh and um i hate the emperor yeah i said it and i uh but yeah I, I think about this movie is it's more about characters and not answering questions where it is like, oh yeah absolutely it doesn't answer what the force is it doesn't say really midichlorians or anything yeah, like yeah. that it expands a mythos without holding the audience's hand exactly. as to what the force is so it gives you more. It's it's a it's a delicate balance, like to give yeah. more information, but not you know say oh midi calorians and yeah. uh, you know all that stuff, <laughs> and really explain how things go. And it's so like that's what is so great about this movie. It's like it enhances the original movie and then expands Star Wars into like new and exciting uh, realms. That yeah. and I think we contribute this movie the reason why it's still a cultural phenomenon i mean uh without empire i think star wars would still be highly regarded but it wouldn't be like this 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 crazy uh empire that it is yeah. now that this like cultural phenomenon so um especially after the holiday special this movie would have broken star wars had it it's been a little bit worse than what it was and i think i think like the holiday special is kind of embarrassing i saw it with josiah one time and it's kind of embarrassing, but it's kind of because it's so old. It's kind of has like its unique charm to it. It's like, oh, that was a, you know, that was kind of a mistake. I know. No, no, no. I, I, like, I, I want to say one thing. I, I, I don't I, think I, it was so hated at the time. You know what I mean? Go ahead, Tyler. 
No, I was gonna say I we all know that B. Arthur was hot as hell in that in that in the special. Like I know she made this <laughs> I'm just joking. That was a joke. I'm sorry. I do love uh, rest in peace, B. Arthur. You're gorgeous. Uh, <laughs> but uh Wow, this is a weird episode. I was trying to make jokes, but apparently they just were not delivering. This is a creep me out. No, oh, I will I will talk about B. Arthur whenever I damn well please. Tyler, you're digging <laughs> your own grave. <laughs> Welcome to the B. Arthur is Hot podcast, I guess. Um, but I think like, at the time, like, we again, we look at it how we look at it. Like, I think that, yeah. um, especially imagine, like, Star Wars with the first Star Wars, it was a movie for kids, for sure. Yeah. And this is the movie that transitioned it from that. That first movie, that was a kid's movie. That was a family movie. This is the movie that, that everything got deeper, that there was still the appeal to kids. Yeah. But it was so much, the, the level of depth went up. And that's what the force is in this movie too, where it gets really, it gets a lot deeper, where it doesn't really tell you anything like, you know, the mistakes of the prequels. It just shows you enough to hint at. Like, I like what Tyler said. Once you start to see what like Yoda's capable of, when he's trying to like see into the future and to see what's happening to the, to the, his, to Luke's friends on Cloud City, it's like, whoa, if, 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 if he can see into the future, at least kind of hazily, what else can a Jedi do? Like you said, yeah. what, what is it that Luke can't do? Yeah, because all, all, like all we knew before him. is that he could use a lightsaber really well, and then he can get slashed <laughs> in half, and then his and then his robe is, and then he just disappears. I'm joking. Yeah. I'm sorry. But, uh, but really, that's pretty much what you know. To be fair, I mean, you know, you say it as a joke, but we don't see anything other than that. And then, yeah. and then in this movie, so uh, kind of going back to Hoth, the first moment where we kind of see the Force, and it's a great way that it builds the Force in this movie too. Is the yeah. tease where Luke is just beaten down; he's hanging. The Wampa has him right. And he's captured in his ice cave, which was a great toy, by the way, the ice fortress thing I had as a kid. Um, I, I think I had it too. And so you, um, but you have Luke, uh, my wampa's in my toy box. So I'm going to get it. It's like literally my toy box. My childhood toy box is behind this desk here, but I don't have access to it. I don't think I have <laughs> um, any Star Wars. I, yeah, he's probably buried at the bottom. So, but he, that's where he, he, you know, he reaches out and uses the force. I remember vividly as a kid, my brothers and I, my brothers are not in the Star Wars. They weren't in the Star Wars. They mm. just watched a movie with me. I was like a fan, but we had this like toy plastic knife. It was like, a you know, an army man type of knife. And like, we would pretend to like use the force where I would like go like this. And my brother would like throw it into my hand because of that moment. And we didn't know what it meant or what it wasn't even within the concept of the movie, but that's like, yeah. it's teasing you that there's this power and he can do this thing. And like, that's like a first moment where like Luke is like tapping into himself. Like, does he even know he can really do that yet? You yeah. Know? And then obviously like, it's cool. Cause then in the movie it escalates where as he trains and grows in the force and he's tapping into this mysterious power that's all around us, he's like lifting rocks and, you know, and he's yeah. like, Oh, lifting rocks is one thing master, but you know, the X wing is completely different. And then Yoda's like, I'm going to show you. You don't yeah, believe yeah. And you, you, you're like, And it's literally you're failing because you don't have faith that you can do it. And yeah. It's like a powerful moment, and I and I that's my favorite scene in all of cinema when Luke, you know, has that vision of his friends and he gets frightened, and then you know, it's 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 cool too because you can see Yoda's dejected. He thought yeah. that Luke was breaking through somewhere. He lo- he thought that Luke was understanding things, and Luke wasn't. That that uh, that brashness of Luke, that impulsiveness, he wasn't getting through to him, and then yeah. he, he's like. I have to sh- like, and I think that it's where Yoda's like, I have to show you that I can do this, so that you know you can do it. It reminds and me it- of another great movie called Kung Fu Panda, where <laughs> the main character, oh, Bro, 
where the, where the main character Poe has a really harsh teacher named Shifu, and Shifu. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, I'm done. So I had it. I had to do my Kung Fu Panda. Uh, oh, hey, you know what? The second Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> um, but let's, yeah, let's, no. Go ahead, Paul. I, I think I think uh, the interesting thing about Luke in this movie is that yeah, he doesn't believe in himself. You know, he's still a dreamer that looks at the twin sons and loves the idea of being a Jedi. But he doesn't understand what it takes to become one, like to, to the work. And, yeah. the, you know, he doesn't have the mental fortitude to really become a Jedi. And, like, every time he's training, he's always distracted by something. Like, he's, you know, he's doing the upside down kind of levitating thing with, with uh, Yoda <laughs> on his feet. And he sees, like, the, the X-Wing sinking. And he's like, oh, shit. And he falls over. It's like everything, he's, he's always distracted by things around him at the time. Yeah. And so he never can really clear his head and be one with his thoughts. He's like, uh, yeah, Yoda's right. He's like foolhardy, reckless, um, and has a lot of doubt. And that's why I love Luke, you know, because he has these flaws. You know, I he's, love, he's, a, he's a fully realized character. He's not, you know, as time passed, you saw this Luke as, as like this um, – you know, there's all the companies in Jedi that has like no flaws, but really, like if you look at this, he has a lot of flaws and he's very human, and he fails so often in this movie, and not in like stupid ways, but in very realistic ways. Mm-hmm. You know, I love the yeah. fact that in, in the very Boy. first, I, I love the Go fact ahead. in the very first scene, like you see the probes shooting out at Hoth, right? So you know the Empire's looking for them, and then you know Luke gets attacked by a Wampa, Han comes to get him. They both almost die of exposure. And so all of this, all these bad things are happening. They're constantly in peril while the, uh, the Empire's daggers is hanging above them. Yeah. And so you know that the Empire is coming after them at some point, but you don't know when. And so when they do, it's like, well, holy shit. Like, they dealt with all this other stuff. Now the Empire's here. And, you know, I, I just, I, I love how the first act is framed. It's like very... um it was very intelligent how it how they how they crafted crafted that uh, the, the the very first act of this movie. I, I agree. I think it was also one of those things that's so hard to emulate, especially w- if Lucas was really planning on this being twelve movies long. Like, how do you? I mean, I know he wasn't in the writer's seat. I know he just wrote like what we discussed earlier. But like, how? how like that's 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 crazy to me if it's going to be your universe and something like this like and I, I honestly it makes way more sense with marvel where you have 80 years of, okay not 80 but if you when you have 60 to 70 years of comic books where you can just pick and choose things and then you have like a big basis of things so much easier as opposed to making this up on the fly for 12 movies like i know yeah. like i mean even but, harry potter was was like when they were making those movies that were based on books they weren't the movies were coming out too fast and they were just like, what the hell do we do? OK, we just got to take out this stuff. This stuff can't be important. And then you're just like, then you see the later movie and you're like, oh, we the Neville shit did matter. Oh, Jenny meant something. Oh, crap. What did we do? And that's the thing with Star Wars, where it was like everything was just kind of but on it, a few people's shoulders. So the, yeah. the, the difference was the narrative plan, though, wasn't necessarily like now we know it as like the, the Skywalker saga, right? Of or course. whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah. Or the, or this is the redemption. Of, it became the yeah. redemption of Darth Vader. But, with, but within, was, but within like so long, though, like he I don't think he envisioned 
all 12 movies to take this long with this. No, but his, break. his vision was basically think about it uh, again, 12 movies that weren't all thoroughly interconnected. Like when he made Star oh, Wars, yeah. his original thought for a sequel was an unrelated sequel just in the universe of Star Wars. But oh, then okay. that like he realized, oh, and the idea was it would kind of like he thought of as he sort of developed it, there's points where um, I read quotes like, you know, these are all from like the late seventies before Empire's yeah. even out where he was saying, oh, one of the sequels would be about a young Obi-Wan and a young Anakin. And he said those things back then. It wasn't like the prequels weren't yeah. shaped the way they would become later. And it wasn't until um, after Empire came out. So Empire came out with that episode five on it. That's the first time. That's the Roman numeral. That's the number two. Yeah. <laughs> that's the first time that, uh, that the, that was on there. People have incorrectly thought that, but I was just doing oh, the five. I thought you were doing a timeout. Yeah, I, I was doing the five. I'm like, oh, I'm like the I'm line. Yeah, what are you doing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> now Red card, <laughs> yellow card. Like, flagged. like you were offended or something? <laughs> <laughs> um, ah, five uh, Roman numerals. Get them but, out of here. But people have incorrectly thought that uh, you know between like even though Star Wars was re-released in like '78, probably '79. Yeah. Who knows? You know, they would, that's how they did movies back then. They would re-release them subsequently, more frequently than they do now. Um, there was that number wasn't put on it until it was a release that came after empire strikes back when it then had the episode four new hope stuff on it so it's like that's kind of like retroactively they kind of say that like according to like Luke, official lucasfilm things but it wasn't a plan that way like i think then he realized again and it's it's not a criticism it's just as lucas was developing and he realized oh the meat of this story is here but there's also some stuff here with the prequels and one i think especially once he realized that vader was the father as he was developing empire because it's really important, and Lucas has said this, he said he didn't tell Lee Brackett, um, the original writer, that Anakin was the father. And uh, the thing is, like, if if Anakin was planned on being the father, that's definitely something you would tell that writer. Because that's one yes. of the most critical things. So Absolutely. to me, that says he didn't know that at that point. But then he wrote the next draft, and I believe in his draft, which was the second draft, was the one where it became that and he realized there's like all this meat to the story that was behind it that he wanted to go back to so even the vision i don't even think like he knew like that uh you know what the 12 movies would look like and yeah you know, and that maybe, that makes sense. maybe three of them would be in our and, and the, the rest would be uh different he even like and at the time in, in the late 70s he said lucas says it'll take until 2001 to film all of them so he was planning on like every year basically making yeah. a star wars movie from back and you know and obviously it changed he was really burnt out he went through the divorce in the late 80s and that changed yeah. sort of how he viewed star wars and that's why there was that big gap but um do you think so do you, well do you think do you think it having like the five on it and them going so hardcore on it for some reason do you think that that actually like got people more excited and and maybe also got this movie a little bit more buzz as well because they're just like oh number five but it's the second movie and do you think do you think like that could be like a whole thing that got people a little bit more excited and to ramp up for more and just see like, what the like, like yeah like like what the hell is happening why is it out of order so yeah because when people saw that they were surprised right like whoa five yeah, where, I, where, I you know I just saw because because even as they were developing it it was still referred to as Star Wars two like when they were yeah. you know with Fox and every, the studio and everything with Star Wars 2 because it was the second Star Wars. Yeah, I thought it was Kazan who came up with it like last second or something. It was like Empire Strikes Back and then they just kind of went with it. 
And they were actually calling it, I believe at the time, Lucas was calling it Chapter 2, and they changed it to Episode later on because there was a movie, I believe it was like a Neil Simon movie or something, called Chapter Something. And this is just speculation that I read in an article that that's why he changed it because he didn't want to be confusion with the movie because that movie came out in like 1979. Oh, wow. I, don't even have the, I don't have the movie in my notes, so I don't know the name, but just the things like that, how... You know, there's a lot of things that influence just the, the, the minutia of how it was named. But the five, I certainly yeah. think, was a grabbing thing. Like, whoa, what are we seeing? And in the, at that point, it's like, will we see prequels? We didn't know that necessarily. Go ahead, Paul. Oh, um, didn't they go back and change uh, original Star Wars to Episode Four: New Hope after Empire was released? Yes. Isn't that what they did? Oh, okay. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> That's only <laughs> so let's jump back into the movie so let's we, we, let's talk about we talked a bit about act one kind of mm. we established the characters and we see um you know the 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 romance between han and leia and also luke we see it that the the love triangle which is like what they, i think lucas was going for here and i know that lawrence kasdan when he was writing it did not know that they were siblings. I don't think George Lucas knew that they were siblings. I think he changed his mind later, but that's yeah. neither here nor there. I think so, I, I think so as well. <laughs> I think he, he again, because he thought there was going to be more movies, and there, but there is in versions of this script, um, like in the George Lucas's draft, there are references to a twin. So there is a twin, just I think it changed that it became Leia. Yeah. Because even if you read things, like if you read the original scripts... He says, Luke, I, I killed your father, right? Um, yeah, but also it says things like, um, maybe, like if you go back to the Star Wars script, Luke and Leia were different ages, like in their character descriptions, in the original scripts. Mm. So she was always younger. He was like probably 17 or 18. She was like 15. Really? And he looked younger you know, than her for some reason than it for me. Yeah, but like, well, maybe, maybe because she, cast, yeah. but... Maybe she's such a badass that it makes her look like she's like way, way, has may, way more weight on him and she's, I don't know, Leia's awesome. Um, but, yeah. but the point being is like, if you look at those things, you can see that those are the little subtle things that if, if they were going to be siblings and they were going to be, they'd be the same age and you would just have it in the descriptions, but I think it changed and that's okay. Again, I don't, I'm not criticizing the change. But I think it's important to acknowledge that it did change. And, uh, in this movie, especially you see, you know, once, once they're all worried about Luke when he's out on, uh, you know, stranded in Hoth and Han is with him, right? They're worried what's going to happen. And he cuts open the Tauntaun in that great moment. But one of my other favorite moments, when she, when the, that door shuts and then Carrie Fisher is brilliant without saying anything. And like the, the guy's like, we have to close the blast doors or whatever. And she just like nods and they close the doors. And then Chewie lets out that groan. And then like, Oh, yeah. And then C-3PO says something, you know, like, R2 has, has like, the thing about his chances of survival, those, like, though he has been known to make mistakes from time to time, to, like, try to, like, be comforting, like, the droid trying to be comforting, and then, like, R2, you know, beeps him something, and then it, just this brilliant moment, and I don't even think even in the movie we'd be, uh, that he's even found Luke yet, but anyway... What you're seeing is, when I, I'm going backwards here, but I want to talk about that. It's because you see these characters, whether it's a romance or not, the three main characters all love each other in some way. And I always like wonder, like they, they, refer, they reference like, you know, that value hunter we read to an Ord Mandel or something, right? They reference these adventures that happen between the movies kind of thing. Um, that was the other thing. So we had this book and also the comic book, right? The Marvel comic was the other thing that was like Star Wars at the time. And it was very trippy and weird early Stuff because they were like you know lucas wasn't like telling them what to do like it was weird the, the early comic so um 
But you then, know, I, I like the I like the idea that the movies were a brief um, snapshot of their lives, but they had lives other than the movies. Like they were doing other things, going on other adventures. You know, and I think that really oh, helped okay, with okay. like merchandising. You know, like because you know, as kids, when you have the action figures, you could create your own adventures and make them think that they're you know part of the movie. So I, I don't know. I just think yeah, it was something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's ingenious. Like to have throwaway lines like that. Like, oh, you know, there's a we skipped that one bounty hunter, you know, and or he's like, oh, you showed me what you really felt about, about me in the South Passage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Things like that. And then you also get, though, that uh, the it shows you that the I think why it's, it's the brilliance of storytelling, too, where they're going to have all these adventures, but it's not all pertinent to the story that's being told. It's like what you're seeing now, this is the story that you need to see. That stuff's cool and interesting, but this is the real story. This is the, yeah, the exactly. media story. You know, where this is this is where the stuff really happens. Like you know that throughout that whole time, Vader knows that Luke's out there somewhere. Vader knows that who Luke is and he's pursuing him. And he's also looking for the rebels as well. Like we know, we know, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, even if Luke and wasn't so, a factor, exactly. He's Darth like, Vader. And he's I'm so Empire. glad we didn't watch the rebels set up base and on Hoth and them carrying everything in and then trying to gather food. <laughs> like, I'm so glad it was just kind of like, okay, look, all this shit has happened. You didn't miss anything. Let's just go. Like, if you yeah, want to imagine like, watching want... that Star Wars story, right? And just setting up camp for two yeah. hours. Look, I bet you'd be more interested in the Rogue One for sure, though. <laughs> bring, the space, <laughs> bring the space. Bring the space, Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, so yeah, but so we're, we're like, but let's firmly jump into Act Two, right? You have the pursuit as they all flee the planet because mm-hmm. you know the Imperial Walkers come. My favorite vehicle in Star Wars. My fa- the, I love the whole snow seeder sequence. We haven't even talked about it. Like my favorite, my favorite action sequence in Star Wars. We haven't talked about. Wait, wait, wait! Major, major, major debate here. At at or at ats? At at. Paul. It doesn't matter either way. I call them at ats. Oh my, Tyler, you're wrong. I find them. I, find, I thought Luke. Well, you know, actually, there's more. There's more in the argument for at at because there's the atst, which is chicken walker. You wouldn't call that an atst. Yeah, that's like it doesn't make it. That's, so that's actually why. more. That's, that's exactly why. I thought Lucas himself said they were called a. They're called at at. Lucas has been taking a pill. He's also said a lot. Can't of, really he's believe he's said a lot about the Star Wars about the Star Wars universe. Everyone's yes. like, eh, okay. Yeah, lately especially. But anyway, like I, I think I, it's I, more once, fun to say though. So I have a ten-year-old nephew, and once I got into this argument with him. And I couldn't possibly win it with him. And I realized, like, if I were him then, I would totally be like, you're insane. How You're getting it so wrong. It's an ad at you, idiot. But for me, it is an AT-AT. It's always been an AT-AT. will always be an AT-AT. I, I, don't, I hate <laughs> the sound of ad at. It sounds silly. Because I guess AT-AT also sounds like a real machine to me. Yeah. Like, and also it's the AT-AT connection. Bring in okay. the at at <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> it's it's just so, but I but I can live with it, you know. I don't, and I've heard some of the special effects people and things. I've heard it called that, but mostly when you see them talking about it, like if you watch the old school documentaries, they call it ATATs. Oh, so yeah, okay. So watch the like watch the old stuff. That's the secret. But anyway, so in Act Two, right? Part of the brilliance is you have these characters that you put together in the first movie. You establish that they love each other at the beginning of this movie, that they're all like there's affection, whether it's romantic or not, and then yeah. you separate them. 
and you just blow everything up, right? You put the you put Luke in this training that he's not doing very well. You put Han and Leia like they can't jump the hyperspace and they're hiding in asteroids and all these things and break it all up. So um one of the big moments in that is Luke, right? It convinces Yoda to train him, and like the whole idea of Yoda is just brilliant. This little creature, which was a big risk as well. Like, will it was Yoda so work? much more of a troll, like watching <laughs> it now, than I remembered. I remember him being so wise and cool, and I think it was also because of the prequels. What a complete one! Like, I know he was desolate, but also the guy. I mean, like the little guy was old as hell to begin with. I don't think that he. I I think ugh, that's another discussion about the prequels. <laughs> I don't know why they made him so serious in the prequels makes no sense to me but yeah. no, i think it's like I, I think the thing with with this is like star wars is a lot of meeting of the east and the west like the samurai and and yeah. the, you know the gunfighter and so there's always that trope in like martial arts films where the, this like kindly old um martial arts master that fakes like he, he's like kind of goofy Wait, but he's actually about holding a kung fu panda movie right now are you talking about well, not really that? Are you, are, you, are you talking about Willy Wonka where he just comes out with a cane and then <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Is like is it, there, there, there's that trope? There's that trope where you know the martial arts master doesn't reveal who he is. He's yeah. actually a wise you know martial arts master or whatever. Absolutely. And he has this goofy facade, and so that trope is like they kind of applied that to Yoda. Um, and I what I love about Yoda is like. You know, the whole time you're built up to think uh, that that this this this, this Jedi is going to be this like buff soldier, like this giant dude, like imposing figure, and then it turns out it's this like little green creature that is amazing with the Force, and so you know it's like subverts your expectations, but in a, in a really interesting and thought provoking yeah. way. And uh, I mean, that's that's the you know that's the magic of Star Wars. Is like the Force is, is more than just us. It's it's like something that's beyond uh, who we are as as people. It's like um, yeah, you know, it's a greater power than us. So, and I think that's interesting that that yeah. you know even, even people who are verbally dyslexic. That was a terrible joke. I apologize because uh, everything because everything I is out of order. Because everything, because everything was out of order. Time out for Tyler. <laughs> Is that a, um, was that a slip at me or something? I was confused. Like, what? No, Yoda, because he doesn't. It was Yoda joke. Oh, oh joke okay. I, thought, I, was I, like, mean, I at least got the joke. I understood the joke. Thank I you. I don't know. I, I've been pretty sick. I'm kind of like <laughs> out of it. Oh, no, I'm like super sensitive right now. I was sick. Oh, Paul with his talking. verbal with his verbal dyslexia. We know, we know, you know, Paul. Yeah, I was like. Um. So speaking about Yoda, um, whenever <laughs> we first meet him, like you know, he he's the he's the imp, right? He's this little unimportant character, as as Paul explained. And I love watching it this time. I kind of finally saw it a little bit differently, and I've seen this movie countless times, and I saw something yeah. I didn't see before. Is that Yoda is testing Luke? by being this like precocious little like he's like a like he's like a toddler right he's like my daughter keeps yes. talking and getting into stuff and poking stuff and you know and r2d2 is like the other kid and that's r2d2's personality as a toddler anyway so you put them together but yoda was doing it on purpose to test luke i to test I mean, his patience that's i remember that during was. training i don't remember the like for some reason now, i've watched this like four years ago 
Like, I remember him during training being the biggest pain in the ass, which is, like, hence why we even have, like, the Yoda backpack and everything like that. Like, it's clearly, like, yeah, him him testing testing his patience and also testing his, his strength and force strength. Um, but I, I just forget the beginning where he's just so trolly to him. Like, he's just such moment, a troll. When he eats the sausage and he throws it away. Yeah, like, I was like, I don't no. remember that at <laughs> all. I was like, I don't remember the food thing. Like, I don't remember I, like, him. Now that, like, you know, yeah. just, every episode I'm like being a parent now, but I'm like, oh my god, that's my kid. Like, it, for some <laughs> reason, I always thought that he was more like a little bit more fun, tough Beifong in uh from avatar last uh, last airbender when he's really not he's more he's more like john cleese's tim in monty <laughs> python and the holy grail what they call me tim yeah i always thought that little they... stick was like a taquito you know it looked like a taquito <laughs> and they nibbled on him like threw it up I, but I there's know, also it, there's it, like it. moments that cut through that like whenever he's like i'm looking for a great word he's like wars not make one great you know that like these little mm. little little things that cut through those like and that's where that and that's where the writing of um that it's really great so the idea for yoda was lucas's right he wanted something that was to be a creature right and it was designed uh by Stuart freeborn they would like they had a yeah. They couldn't they couldn't land a design, but Stuart Freeborn finally did his version of it, which is it, like they talk about it a lot. It's basically a self-portrait with a bit of Albert Einstein. And when he and he finally nailed the the puppet to like look real. And the Frank Oz Frank Oz obviously is the puppeteer and the voice and all that. But another key it's, it's, factor is I, I will like, say this that Frank Oz's puppet skills are unfreaking believable. If you go back and just watch stuff and like uh and any any documentary or any time people talk about it, like the man is hand-eye coordination, but also just storytelling with just not only his voice, but like really bringing Yoda to life is absolutely and insane. And with like a huge challenge, because this was like a puppet, like, you know, this wasn't a Muppet. Like this was, no. a, this needs to look like a living creature. Like with a Muppet, you can get away with it, you know, because it's like felt. Like yep. you want it to seem alive, but you know it isn't. Whereas this is, you want to like, the idea is you need to look at it and question, wait, is that a real thing? Especially before we could just do everything in a computer and yeah. shoot um, it out. Um, it, it, it was like, is it real? And well, also, it also needed to look so fragile, too. Ryota needed to look like this fragile, really, like, yeah, like worn out I, I, a teacher is essentially what, and it, it is everything. It's just so well done. Plus the stressors of the way they shot. Like, they shot in, like, a swamp built on a stage. Like, they said yeah. by the end of that shoot, like that's stagnant water because it's like six weeks of like Mark Hamill is the only like actor on the set with the Yoda puppet and Frank Oz, obviously. But that that challenge, were you going to say, Paul? Oh, I, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, Yoda is so successful that like it's still um, <clears throat> more realistic and than than even like some of the more recent CGI. Like it, it, it's like. I totally believe that Yoda's real, like watching the movie, the way his, like his facial movements, the way he blinks, you know, the, the way his pupils dilate, all this stuff. It, it's like uh, really well done. And um, I, yeah, I mean, 40 years later, it's uh, an impressive achievement. Yeah, yeah I'm, looking, I'm, lo I'm looking at these pictures of even Yoda just being on his back and Frank Oz is just like right there. And like, because he has like the monitor as well, and just like, staring at the monitor and like really trying to figure out the face, uh, facial expressions for a shot that's probably four or five frames, if yeah. that. It's crazy. Sorry. Well, like, uh, 
uh, Kirshner, uh, Irving Kirshner tells a great story where, so Lucas, like we said, he was not on set and Gary Kurtz was the man on set. Right. And this kind of created tension between the two. And they, they, there's a reason uh, we've talked about dark crystal. Gary Kurtz didn't produce return of the Jedi. He produced dark crystal and Kurtz and Lucas had had a relationship going back a long time, but this kind of broke their professional relationship. Even though I think from what I've read, it wasn't like, you know, you know, acrimonious. It was just like, we, yeah. we shouldn't work together anymore. You know, we're, we, if you want to, if you want to be a friend, I can't be uh, your partner anymore. And they were like, yeah. And like, and, Lu- and Lucas film at the time was like a family business. Like Kirsch, uh, Kurtz's like um, sister or something was like the secretary, like that kind of thing. So it really was changing. And I think that's, but anyway, he was letting, um, Kurtz was really let, not, uh, Kurtz was letting Kirshner do what he wanted and it was costing a lot of money and it was really slow. Uh, Kirshner was a very improvisational director and this is a huge movie. And even Mark Hamill, Mark Hamill would have a hard time with it because he, they would rehearse the setup the night before and then the next morning, Kirshner would have a different setup with different shots. And, and, and even Mark Hamill would say, sure, it was better, but it was just, it made it stressful to shoot like that on this big of a movie, especially those scenes where it was just him and Dagobah. You know, it's like I mean, he's the only actor and he's the only actor you see. And like he would say, so he had a radio in his ear, you know, had my headphones and it was, you know, very primitive. So it would get interference. And that was what he was supposed to hear either direction from Kirshner or like yeah. lines from Yoda. And he couldn't hear it half the time. And he would like react like he, there's an interview where he jokes about hearing the Rolling Stones. And, and then basically he realized he's ruining the shot wow. because like there's so many other elements that he's just like, like he's a you know not this is my word he's like a glorified prop where he just needs to fit in the scene and he kind of realized like you know it's like Kurt, uh, Frank Oz under the you know five feet underground or whatever it is on this elevated stage can't hear him just as much as he can and they're trying to communicate and perform and I think that's where it's amazing it came together but anyway yeah. Kirshner tells a story where the day uh, one of the days that George Lucas actually showed up in the UK it was a big big shot day it was the shot where the x-wing gets pulled out of the water right and carried across and they built a full-size prop to do this this is how movies were made back then the good old days and so they tried to do it i don't know why they didn't use a miniature though i mean like i I mean luckily they didn't because it looked so so, real but exactly i think that's why um they maybe they tried to and just couldn't get the same feel anyway so what it was lucas shows up and he just stands back and like christian's like come on over he's like no 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 you know you're directing I'm I'm a producer. I'm going to stay back here. So then they they <laughs> try to get, producer. yeah they, <laughs> they set up for the shot. Um, they set up for the shot. The X wing comes out of the water. The wings fall off because they're made out of wood and they fill yeah. with water. <laughs> so they had to figure out how to refabricate the wings, put them back on, do all this stuff so it wouldn't fill with water. They had to set up the whole shot again. They they redid everything. The, they had one more shot at this and George Lucas didn't say anything. It cost all this more money. He just said, okay, get the shot. And it's like, Kirshner's like said, you know, it's like whatever, 11 seconds of film. That's the shot you see in the movie. That's the one take they got and the one take they had. Like that where it comes up out of the water because you have the, the, the element of Luke, you have the element of, of Yoda the puppet, you have the element of the wing, X-wing being pulled up out of the water, and you know, and the fog, like, and, and everything fog, else, exactly. like, yeah. And any 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 animals you might have, all these things, like, um, and it that's how they got it. That one shot, and he, you know, and uh, Kirshner always says to Lucas's credit, he he gave me that freedom. Although, like behind the scenes, Lucas was like prodding Kurtz, get Kirshner to shoot faster. He needs to shoot faster. He needs to shoot faster. But then at the same time, like, 
it was coming out like looking like brilliant beyond what yeah. Lucas had shot with Star Wars. Like this is like a higher level of artistry and filmmaking. I agree. It really was. And, and and George Lucas is a brilliant man, and he's, and he's I think even he's visually a genius, and he can set the stage. But as a storyteller, he's not a nuanced storyteller. And when you bring in Kirshner, you bring in Kasdan to be the nuanced storytellers with that man with that vision. That's what you see. And in that moment, like I said, it's my favorite moment in cinema. So it's really cool to like learn how that came together. And it was just like by the you know skin of its teeth, kind of like was executed and worked. Yeah, I, I want to give George Lucas credit because I still think he, I, I still think he got, he, he still has it. Like, especially the look and everything like that. Red Tails is not a great movie, but it's a gorgeous movie. I had fun watching it. I really liked watching it. It had great, uh, I mean, it, it, it was just, it was a good, it was a good visual film. And I think George Lucas still has it. I, I just, I, you know, I, I think I agree with you. He needed somebody else to kind of take the reins George as well. Always a good storyteller. He's just like some, like I said, I think sometimes he lacks the nuance. Like even if you look at the prequels, yeah. they're never like plot wise bad. And visually they're always engaging. It's just like things could be fixed. Yes. And this is an example yeah. of where like. A like, rewrite. Yeah. The a rewrite. That's all you need. <laughs> yeah. The dialogue here, like, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, the dialogue here is like, that's all Kazan, right? You know, he's the one who brought the dialogue to give them characters. But the structure from, like I said, from what I understand, is purely Lucas. It's really Lucas's structure that they carried through all the versions of the script. So, you know, credit to him for that, like the settings and the worlds and, you know, the even the characters, even though um, Kazan was able to make them and Kirshner behave the right way, they're still Lucas's characters. Like, they're still his vision. It's just... Again, you need that execution, and you have like, um, you know, you have like a like a, like a Harrison Ford who, like, working with George Lucas, he was always like, "Well, what do you what do you want for my character?" And like asking stuff, and George Lucas would just be like, you know, like, "Yes, yeah, read the lines. That's the lines." And it's like, what's behind the lines? And but George Lucas wasn't like, "It's there. Just read it. That's that's what you need to know." And like, you have a director in Kirshner who can work with him in that way to make it happen. And that's why you get like the, you know, the, I love you. I know where it was just like, it was supposed to be something. Yeah. It. yeah. It was, I love you. He said, I love you in the script. <laughs> and, and Kirshner's like, we're going to shoot it. Just say whatever you think Hans Holo would say. And that's what came out. And it's just like that brilliant. Lucas is supposedly at the time hated that. Yes. And he wanted the line. I love you, but Harrison Ford wouldn't do it. <laughs> Yeah, just which is awesome. Like, I know, and, and I, think, I know it's perfect. That's totally well, a Hansel character, you know. And Harrison Ford was so done with Star Wars at this point because <laughs> he didn't want to come back for a turn of Jedi. No, it was... he, like I already established, he wasn't under contract for this movie. Yeah, let alone the third one. Both um, Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher were under contract. Yeah, um, I think that tells you a little bit too about like what Lucas maybe thought of that character. I don't think he thought he was like it was a trio. I thought it, he thought it was maybe a Luke and Leia story. But then it kind of changed because if I feel like you'd get that guy under contract before he becomes a star that has the power to say no. Yeah, <laughs> especially yeah, especially the, the actor like with you know who basically became a sex symbol for Yeah. And that's the thing too. Like I think what uh one of the things I want to say is so Kirshner had a lot of freedom. Why do you guys think that he was allowed to have that freedom that Richard Marquand on the following subsequent film didn't have? He was a less established right? he didn't have. Obviously, George Lucas was very controlling on the prequels. Why do you think Kirshner had the freedom as a director? I have a couple, I have a couple ideas. If that's, but I mean, I'll, I'll let Paul go first. I, I've been kind of talking too. Oh, much. I mean, I think uh, I think since he was his teacher, there was a, a certain like level of 
I trust your judgment. You know, you taught me how to, you taught, taught me this craft. So mm-hmm. I trust your judgment and, and what you're going to do. And um, I think there's, there's that. Uh, I mean, I, like, you know, right now I'm going to physical for animation. And I know that if like I was working at a project and I like tap my, one of my professors to work on that project with me, I would really listen to what, you know, their, their point of view is and their, their feedback because yeah. they helped me learn how to do animation. So I'm more likely to, uh, you know, um, to like get them involved in the collaborative process. So I think there's that. Um, and I think just like, if you, like, if, I guess, you know, if you were to watch, probably watch the dailies of Empire, you'd see how like it really was coming together. And uh, they, you know, what I really like is like the, the great use of space in the frame, like characters go in the foreground, they go in the background. You know, they go, the, the camera pans to the left, you know, this crane shots. Like, the, the camera movement is really well done. And it's like, um, the camera is very dynamic. And, 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 and it's, like you said, it's beautiful cinematography. Um, so I think he just respected him. And he's like, I trust your judgment. Yeah. I have a couple ideas as to why. I think because of Star Wars was way bigger than what anybody had imagined that I think other producers involved and other people who have put money into it because George Lucas did not fully finance this movie. I mean, yes, he, he did. He fully financed this movie. Fox didn't finance it at all. He fully, financed I know they distribution. Yeah. They had distribution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but he fully oh. financed it. <clears throat> I did not know that. So, yeah. okay. So that takes that so away he, from me. Like, that's, yeah. It was uh, everything that was put up. It was a, uh, he got a loan from bank of America and he basically wow. had to put everything up as collateral. And it was a really, uh, he had trouble getting a loan because it was considered such a high-risk venture at the time. So, and, yeah, so, so he, it was all, all the risk was on him financially. Yeah. Well, Star Wars was so huge. So, like, for example, if Kirshner's going over on days on, and therefore over on budgets, George Lucas is literally paying for it. Think about it that That's way. Crazy. Okay. There, there, there might have been, I, I, this is truly seat of my pants, there might have been, like, some stipulation for overages or something that maybe the studio covered, but I'm not aware of any. Like we talked about the Blade Runner episode. Remember we yeah. talked about how mm-hmm. that's how they ended up getting control of the cut because really Scott went over and therefore with the overages, they would pay the money and therefore they would get the final cut. And like, that's the thing there. There yeah. may have been some a stipulation like that, but I'm not aware of it. That's but those crazy. were pretty yeah. common. Um, okay. So that takes away a lot of the, what I was going to say was, I think also maybe because if George Lucas's marriage was kind of falling apart at this point and he was also trying to build up Lucasfilm, he needed to figure out basically everything that's happening with that. And I also think that, um, I mean, yeah, I, I actually, it all pretty much went away when I thought that there were, I thought oh, there, I, I thought there were saying- other producers and stuff, but yeah. I mean, well, I mean, it was it was really the, like the producers. It was George Lucas, executive producer, Gary Kurtz, producer. And I really think you're both right. Like what you're saying, Tyler, with him building the company. And he was also working with ILM on the special effects. Yeah. He was working much more actively there because like Paul talked about, right? Doing everything on white, that compositing on white at the beginning of that film, that was like unbelievably difficult. Yeah. Super, super hard. And if you watch, if you have, go, we can probably find on YouTube, if you look at the originals, when you see those snow speeders flying and you look at like the beam that would like be, you know, if this is like my shuttlecraft, it'd be like, like the, the frame of the cockpit, right? There'd be like a black line that yeah. if you look very closely when it maneuvers, it's semi-transparent. 
because they had to like get the mat to go over because they couldn't get it perfectly because the, in order to hide, because normally when you do something on a, a composite, right? You can a, composite a spaceship on a black background. You essentially have to cut a line around that thing, right? Absolutely. And so you're going to see a black uh, if line you, if it's over if any kind of light surface. But if it's in its space, you have that yeah. buffer to hide things. You don't have that in the white. So they had to be really, really precise. And there was like these little flaws in it that still made it into the final film, which is part of George Lucas's whole special edition thing. But it was just totally pushing the boundaries of what was possible with, you know, uh, practical effects. Like we talked about the Blade Runner and this movie. These are like two movies they're both kind of the end of an era in a way that was practical special effects movies because just a few years down the line you know computers would take over those things where because at the very least even if you're using a practical effect you can clean it up with a computer you know that was an option then so like uh, i was gonna say like uh you know sorry for bringing it up but like if you go and watch star trek the motion picture it's the exact same thing it's it you get those little imperfections but with some really crazy out out of the you know out of the ordinary shots because it was star trek i mean you know and so that they definitely didn't have the problems with wrath of khan because of like what josiah was saying new technology where where empire was just kind of like right there at the end of it we're just kind of like oh we we can't do it yes like like, we're almost there yeah and even wrath of khan's like that one of those first films that's that transition because that genesis sequence where it's meant to be a stimulation but it's still it's the first like computer generated sequence in a film exactly it's, it's meant to not be a real thing but it's like that's like pivotal and like this is where it's going <laughs> eventually I, this effect will look realistic enough that you know it'll be all like this can i say one thing though as well like talking about imagery and stuff like that and just it, cloud city has done so well we talked about it earlier with about the lighting and everything the differences from the lighting from outside and inside really establishing different light sources and different um how basically being inside of cloud city is a different world than it is just walking out from you know a from whatever whatever's made on the outside of it metal from metal and the amount of the amount of love and the amount of world building that you get from basically this movie not being verbal about it it just keeps barreling through this this really expansive really long hard story to kind of like encapsulate with the inclusion of cloud city and everything um it's it's amazing how much there was there's a lot of space flight a death star and a lot of things in the previous movie then you get into this movie where like science is like times three with like the 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 introduction of carbonite and the like all this other stuff that like you kind of know what it is because we'd already went to the moon so we're like okay cool a big round spaceship okay i i can kind of understand that oh, okay and you know and, and other flying objects as well but then you get things where you're just like oh we're just freezing this guy in carbonite and he's gonna live and everything's gonna be completely fine and you're like wait what's happening now like it's just in this one world like in this one world all this science and all this more stuff kind of like created because this whole thing is now being stood by essentially a pole um I'm joking but like you know it's 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 i don't know maybe it's just me but cloud city is is kind of expands the more scientific part of the star wars universe as opposed to it being more of a fantasy and just having only flying you know, only flying things that go pew 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 it's because it's also very like aesthetically like you're you're yeah. i see what you're saying but it's also aesthetically very like fantasy like it's yeah just, no, absolutely it's, it's it's a perpetual sunset right you it's, know in, it's in like a mixture like, of it 
in, in cinema, like that's what they refer to as magic hour, right? The you know yeah. at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day, when you have that beautiful light, and this whole the exterior of this world is always like that. It's always yeah. like this like sunset kind of ebb. So it's got this very sort of like you know it's city in the clouds. It's like the ultimate like it's like very Flash Gordon type of thing. And yeah, and like but yet like you're you're saying the interior of that world. I think that's what's cool about what this movie does is there's a contrast between the exteriors and the interiors, right? The exterior world is one thing, and then the interior world is very claustrophobic. Yes, and yeah, the absolutely. Cloud City is very claustrophobic because there's one big change in the special edition that I did not like is opening up Cloud City. Like in the original version, it's all these really tight corridors; you don't see much outside. But in the you know the the fancied up version, there's always these there's yeah. CGI windows cut in so you can see like ships flying by and all this stuff and open up the world. Well, actually, I, I disagree. I thought that was a good addition. Like it made it look like more expansive and like bigger than it really. Yeah, because uh, like in but the I original think, version, but it, but it, it looked like like offices. Like it was visually not as as pleasing. But I think it hurt, yeah. and I and I think this is a Kirshner thing. I think it hurts what he was trying to do to show these characters are trapped. Yeah, they're literally trapped in these corridors and these places. They're trapped inside here. Whereas mm. when you open it up, it doesn't feel trapped. Maybe I would have liked it to look more interesting. Maybe. But I, you, you, I love that feeling of claustrophobia because those characters are prisoners before they even know they're prisoners. In the yeah. world that Cavett uh, was originally there, created the sense that they are prisoners. That's how yeah. I felt. I can't complain because I love Star, Star Trek, where all the sets were made out of styrofoam and wood. So, <laughs> just saying, I, I, I cannot. I, I, but I, 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 I'm also gonna be weird and possibly piss you guys off i'm very okay with george lucas updating star wars i'm very okay with him adding in characters i think maybe that one scene oh. with with jabba being in the new hope was a little too much but like i'm fine with it it's his toy and like it, it's it's not damaging the storytelling the jabba scene was but like everything else him including like the windows and stuff like that doesn't damage anything to me i'm just like it's all you do is just make he just has to make the originals available, and that's uh, he can do whatever he wants. He can well, tinker. There's that. But if he made the originals available, that that's fine. Yeah, you well, know, there's that. The fact that he withholds the originals that that's yeah. kind of the sore point for a lot of people. Yeah, but I, I but what I was gonna say was like also was like I also think that he should have he should I hope he got Kazan's permission to make the changes. Like I hope he went to the directors and was like, "Hey, is this cool?" Uh, I, I don't know, believe that he did. Probably not. Yeah, I I, I, I assumed it too. I just didn't want to like say it, but yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I just think that the additions in Empire, um, I think they work fine. They're not uh, offensive in the way that the additions for Return of the Jedi and Star Wars uh, are. You yeah. know, like they work within the story, and they don't. Um, they're not distracting. You know, and like uh, what I'm saying with like even Cloud City, I don't hate the way it looks. You know what I mean? I think that there's that claustrophobia element works more in the original, but it doesn't like it doesn't hurt the storytelling. You know, it just it doesn't impact it. And I think particularly like I think one of the strong sequences we didn't talk about this is the Wampa. I I I like like George Lucas has talked about. He's like you know I always wanted you to see the Wampa, and I've talked about this call before. 
there was originally an extended sequence at the beginning where the Wampa, several of them, actually attack the rebel base. Yes. Right? There's a whole sequence. I actually have a video about it on my YouTube they have, channel. They, have, they, also, they also have storyboards. The storyboards are out uh, in the Star Wars art books as well. Yeah. yeah. The Wampa was going to be way bigger of a deal. And I think yeah. they were just like, okay, George, just calm down. Like They couldn't get it to work. <laughs> and, like, if you look at what they shot, it looked ridiculous. It was like this big guy on stilts. It was not intimidating. Yeah. It was just goofy yes. So, but then the guy also it. get hurt. I think. I think also the guy got hurt too, because they were just know, they were probably. going too big and too much, and they're just like, <laughs> okay, stop it. Like, <laughs> so, but but one of the things is that George Lucas did with the special edition. Part why part of why that one works in particular is it's not a computer effect. It's still a guy mm. in a suit. Yeah. So the that, and that's what he always wanted a guy in the suit because you know the when you see its face like when it yells at Luke that was actually a hand puppet that they made. Yeah. So like they had a hand, oh, yeah. and they like they could use the arm to swat it, but they couldn't get the big version to work correctly. But the special edition, it's actually a person in a suit that was shot with forced perspective, so that it looked, you know, ten feet tall against Luke. And, and yeah. but you know that instead of like the original movie, they tried to make a ten foot tall like guy on stilts, and it just wasn't working. But uh, and it's also in the Shadows of the Empire game. If you ever play that for the N sixty four, like the first level, you can go if you go in the room, the Wampas will come and get you. Um, but uh, that was like a whole extended sequence where, and there's even a like a cool, cool couple of deleted scenes which are on, or even on Disney Plus, um, and I'm sure they're on YouTube as well. But where like when they're trying to escape, there's like a mark on a door, and C three PO runs and he stops and he looks at it, he pulls the tag off the door and keeps going, and so then. That was like a warning, and then the stormtroopers go in, and then the door opens, and there's like big goofy hand of a wampa comes and pulls one of the guys in. So <laughs> it just it doesn't work, but it's like funny to see that. But the vision, how like I honestly would have loved that. That would have been C three PO, like <laughs> like I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I, that would have like me like that would made me like C three PO a little bit more <laughs> than I do because I don't very much. <laughs> So, but I, the, you know, the, the special edition change. That's one of the things I want to talk about, and I I'm kind of like I don't. Like, I'm not bothered by them. Like, I like Paul said, I want to see the untouched versions. I wish those were readily available. Um, but I don't mind the special editions as, like, George Lucas's most final version. That's okay with me. Um, and especially, like, in the late 90s when they were re-released, it was a big deal for me. You know, 1997, what, I was, like, 15? That was a, a, a huge, huge deal that I could go see a Star Wars movie in the theater. You know, they had this ad at the time where it was like for a generation. It shows this little TV in the tiny center of your screen. This is how Star Wars was seen, and it's like an X-wing flying. The X-wing <laughs> flies out, and like breaks the plane of the screen. It's like, and you can fly. Oh, yeah, the plane of the screen. So I thought it was cool that I could see Star Wars not just on the big screen, but with new special stuff. Yeah, you know, it was even it was like an upset. It was like you know DLC in a video game that's like free, but. um I like also like Paul said the problem is then that became oh that's the only version now you can't yeah. see those old versions anymore unless you have them, which I do own them on laserdisc so I I have a DVD set that has the original copies but they're not but the that DVD set the problem is they're like uh, not anthropomorphic widescreen so even yeah. if you yeah. watch it widescreen it's like gonna be that like you know you're, yeah that laserdisc is like the best version yeah of, like, weirdly that laserdisc is the highest quality yeah. version of the you know you know disney has it somewhere and they're gonna yeah. release it at some point oh they will they're they gonna will. say they yeah they're definitely they want a subscriber push for disney plus at some point i'm sure that that'll be the next yeah, smart gonna... thing yeah um so anyway i kind of want to jump back a little bit we were talking about the force at length you know. and 
I was thinking about this. Um, one thing that always like kind of was really weird to me is like when um, when Luke le- leaves Hoth, he kind of just easily flies away and he's like, oh, I'm going to go to Dagobah. Hey, R2, we're going to meet Yoda. And then um, the Millennium Falcon, like they really have a hard go of it. Like they like get caught by the uh, Imperial fleet and they're flying around and like trying to, they're getting chased by like TIE fighters. He couldn't do hyperspace. And so, Wait, what, what, what was that? Hyperspace. Well, no. Um, so I'm just, because he wasn't in hyperspace yet. When he got off the planet, he just kind yeah, of flew but, away. But Han and them, like, land, they couldn't even go to hyperspace. It was broken. So I'm just wondering, why is it that, like, they didn't, like, attack Luke or, like, go after him when their their goal was really him? When well, he went they off probably the didn't know where he was. And or I think what he was also, doing. like, they were literally going after the bigger ships. And the Millennium Falcon. And the Millennium Falcon, they know that ship. They know that that's the ship, and they probably think he's on that ship when they're going after the Millennium Falcon. Think so? Because they know that's the ship yeah. that Luke was on when he went to Death Star. Yeah, so and also, I just always think that was funny the disparity no, of like Luke being an X-wing. That's why they're easy. And then the Millennium Falcon like has a hard time, you know, like that disparity. So anyway, they also probably thought that Luke wouldn't just fly, like, fly, uh, you know. Like just leave, like, <laughs> like flee. Every, like, yeah, every other rebel is like getting shot at. Looks like I'm just gonna go this way, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, what about that X-wing over there? That can't be him. He wouldn't be that much of a douche, would he? <laughs> like, everyone else is going this way, fighting for the lives. He would just go out like the back door. That's yeah, not, yeah. That's not a hero, not a hero yeah. thing. <laughs> Luke Skywalker, more like Luke Sky, wa- crying away, crying run. away, crawling oh. on the ground. I'm just, I don't know. We're watching. That. That um, joke died. Three, three <laughs> jo- I get, I get the rule of three. I get three bad jokes. It's the rule of comedy. I think comedy. that was like your fourth, but okay. <laughs> no, I feel like 20. There's like um, a lot. I don't want to have a counter. I don't want this. Like a counter. I don't want this to go too too long. So we probably so, should go to the next topic. Yeah, so the next topic, but I want to like one of the things I want to talk about is we talked about the force, um, and kind of how the it's reflected. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that always puzzled the hell out of me as a kid was what do you guys think happens at the cave when Luke goes into the cave? What's 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 going on there? What's really happening? On Hoth. Yeah, no, no, no. The cave in Dagobah. In Dagobah. Okay, good. Making sure. Um, I think it's going to be the same thing as Ray. in all honesty. Um, him kind of becoming one with the with the Force. And like accepting, that- and, and, and accepting destiny, but also what's to come. Wait, which movie does that happen in? Uh, Last Jedi. My favorite Star Wars oh! movie. Oh! Twenty dollars. <laughs> oh, ding ding ding! Nah. My, favorite, just, my favorite Star Wars movie. Uh, let's, let's put the background here. We made a bet with each other that whoever mentions Last Jedi first has to pay the other two twenty bucks. And I so... told you guys. I'm gonna. I originally <laughs> I, was gonna I say it. I was it at all. <laughs> I originally was going to bring it up at the beginning, but we didn't discuss it. No, that, no, like I know, that. and we like, yeah, we framed it with pushing it back, and I think it's okay to bring these, the you know, the other stuff up now. Like we kind of established. Like it's funny. That's, yeah. that's cool. <laughs> but we're just, just to, yeah, we're just, we're just giving time. Yeah, it's like you did on purpose almost. We knew that he was going to be the one to say. Good. Yeah, you were so good. It's like you know, way through the episode, and then all of a sudden. No, that's awesome. Yeah. I okay, um, but um. That but that's what, yeah, that's what it was. I thought I thought it was him finally becoming the like one with the force and him accepting destiny and also um seeing what he was supposed to become as well. 
and also really to find out what it is to be a Skywalker. What do you think, Paul? I think it's uh, he's facing the darkness within in a way that he like the path he's going on. He's very impatient. He's reckless. He's, uh, you know, he's foolhardy that he's on the path of the dark side. And by going into the cave, it's just revealing that he's not that much different than Darth Vader. Like, you know, he's he's going down the same dark path. And like, if you think about it, you know, when he goes in there and he's like having that duel, he like, you know, knocks him down in anger, just like how the emperor was always saying, oh, strike me down in anger. Then your path to dark side is is complete. And the, that's exactly what he did yeah. when he went in the cave. And and that's another thing. Uh, Yoda, before he went to the cave, was like, hey, you don't need your weapons. Don't don't bring your weapons in there. And he's like, fuck you. I'm going to bring my weapons. Yeah. <laughs> right. so, no, like he didn't, was, yeah. Go ahead, Paul. Sorry. Yeah. Like he didn't he didn't believe that he was like he didn't believe in himself to, uh, you know, to approach whatever was in the cave. He feel like he needed some assistance. And so there's this like, hmm. yeah, undercurrent of like where. Luke doesn't believe in himself. He doesn't believe uh, that he's capable. He has so much doubt. And that's like Luke, his worst enemy in this movie is himself. Absolutely. All the way through up until, you know, Cloud City. Like he's the one that sets himself back. Like he shows so much potential, but he's like, all his doubt always trips him up. And, and so the cave is just, that's why it was a failure because, you know, essentially he turned into the dark side. Like that was, you know, if he if he went down that same path, he's that's what's going to happen. So, I'm with it. Like, yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's confronting what he could become and uh, all those things. It's it, it's funny because like like seeing it now, like in the context, it makes sense. And this is one of those scenes that I think most of this movie really works completely perfectly without the context of any other Star Wars. But this is a particular scene where. In the context of other things, it kind of has more weight. You know, this is like the one exception where you know you can flash forward to the the sequel trilogy or the pre you know the prequels, and this is the kind of that has weight. But it's really yeah, you see that impulsiveness that he has, that lack of patience that Yoda's testing. Absolutely. And I always I like the Paul point of it out, like that moment where he's like, "Your weapons, you will not need them," and and yet Luke still buckles that belt, and it just yeah. shows like he just doesn't believe. You know, like when he can't lift the the X wing, he doesn't believe. You know, like you, and, yet, Yoda's that, like, and that is why you fail. Oh, yeah. I was just about to bring that up. I thought that's um, great. Oh man, yeah. So we're coming up to an hour and a half on this episode. But we're we're, we're uh, winding into the very oh, final perfect. Film, so that's we're perfect. not going to talk about Leia, like the greatest character in this movie. I think. I mean, she's just also my one of my favorite Star Wars characters. Period. I love Leia in this movie. You could bring her up. You could. What do you want to talk? Go about? ahead. No, I, I got, I, I think she's just, I, I actually was mostly going, I was going to specifically talk a little bit about in the third act, which we're kind of into now. So actually I'll bring up what I was going to kind of frame it with them. So I think the third act is really interesting because the, the, the first act in particular, Han is very confrontational. He's yeah. really aggressive. He's almost like antagonistic towards Leia about like, like that's his flirty is like aggression. And then he softens when they're together in the ship. And I think he lets his guard down so much that he becomes vulnerable to the point of like vulnerable to being trapped in Cloud City. Yeah. Where the, I think the harder, tougher character wouldn't have followed that trap. And what I love is 
that the softer he gets, the tougher she gets, even though she's yeah. like, like romantically softening. This is where you see the the depth of her character is what, is kind yeah. of what I wanted to, to talk about where the first bit of the movie, she's like quiet and sort of stoic. And then as the romance, she's like backs off. But then it's kind of like at the beginning, it, she's learning. It's, uh, she's trying to fit into a, a, another, another role that she like, Think she deserves but you know that she that she, she does deserve I mean, she, yeah she, hell, she was a, yeah so like i love though that by the third act she kind of finds herself she finds like she is like once she kind of has him she has a security that she doesn't necessarily need yeah. but it allows her to let her guard her guard down in a way but she's not vulnerable whereas yeah. he is like too much unguarded and he like and then he becomes a victim of it where she's still like questioning everything like what's going on i really and i really thought that you really see a cool progression in her character in a unique way where the stronger she gets the weaker he gets yeah I, I i also want to say like one of my favorite things and this is how i interpret it as well is that i i think that it's it's finally like cloud city where she finally realizes like the real evil and like how things are and she's just like now at this point five to five to ten steps ahead of the empire of darth vader she just kind of like assesses and sees everything for how it is and she just becomes this general and somebody who really knows how to be a big uh force against uh you know this monster of that is darth vader and we don't know yet about the emperor yet but like everything else that, that's that that this empire is trying to do she's finally seeing everything from her experiences as being a princess from before to finally she's fought off. She's seen them. She sees who they can get to betray her and, and Han. And she's kind of like interconnecting everything as basically being like, okay, I, I know what I know how to trust people. I know. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just, that's just, that's just me, but she just becomes this complete badass general in cloud city meeting Lando seeing how he just screwed screwed all of them over and and uh and then she's just like okay like and then they take han solo the princess away and she's the she's Mar she's mario now and she's just like i'm gonna get rescue you princess <laughs> like once uh like they need find out where boba fett is taking han where they're taking him and she's like and Chewie's choking him choking lando and like she walks away and i love yep. that in my mind it's like she would have been cool. Like, sure, he comes and helps and continues. She would have been cool if Chewbacca ripped his head off right there. Yeah, thousand you know, percent. Like, I, like, yeah. Totally I mean, he won. did betray them. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, like, um, yeah, yeah. He, he, he betrayed him. She doesn't know the damage that he will do. Like, it's crazy. Like, ah, I love her so much in this movie. And I think her growth is, and in so few words, is just, is, but it, like, she says few words, but her, 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 her actions speak volumes. And if you look at the movie, like the three characters, right, Han is essentially almost dead at the end of the movie because he's captured and he yeah. might not have come back for the sequel because of the actor, right? Uh, Luke is just destroyed. Emotionally, yeah. physically, he is destroyed. She's the one who comes out stronger, right? Yeah. She's the one who stands up and, and, and she has to and no one else can. She's like the one left standing, truly. Like, yeah, she becomes the anchor for both of them. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. the Rebellion. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, no, I, I always, I always find it interesting how, like, at the end of, uh, of this movie, how the, the Emperor essentially catches them, you know, in that great reveal when they 
like, oh, you know, we brokered a deal um, that so it'll keep it'll keep the Empire out of Cloud City forever. And you open the door, and Darth Vader's yeah. there, and Han Solo <laughs> like fucking shoots him in the face. I love that. Yeah, it's so great. Yeah, it's so much in his character. Story. So awesome. And so awesome. Yeah, I love that. Um, and, like but, that but is the, the thing. The guy, thing no, let's go back to Greedo. That's the guy who shoots first. Eats yeah, of course, Han Solo shoots first. <laughs> you know, he wants to protect himself. Like, um, he—that's—that's that's his character. Like, he thinks about himself over everybody else. And then, his, with his relationship with Leia, he's thinking about Leia over himself. And that's like his whole arc throughout this movie. That he's like, you know, he—he he falls in love with her, and, and she becomes more important to him than. And he's like, yeah, Chewie, you know, take care of her. You got to take care of her. Stop this, you know, killing all these stormtroopers. You got to take care of Leia. Um, I actually but, dislike uh, the fact that he says Chewie take care of her. I actually really don't like it because, like Josiah but, said, she's clearly stronger than him. She doesn't need Chewie. No, for Chewie though, Chewie. Chewie. Like, it's, it's, it's like, like a way to. I think. I think Han. I think he knows that, but and I think she knows that. But I think Chewie, like I like my dog. You know what I mean? You guys have both met Akira. My dog yeah. is this big. He's this big level teddy bear that like. I always, but one thing about him, his mentality is he needs to think he's protecting us. You know, when yeah. he hears that no one always embarks, that's like in his mind, he's like, I'm taking care of you. And he's doing nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you're, you're useless, buddy. You know, it's like, one thing I, I love about the, the, the pull of the empire, the one thing I love about the pull of the empire is like, you know, throughout the whole movie that they're, they're, you know, at the, they're escaping at the edge of their teeth. You know, they're flying away the asteroid field and all that stuff. And then, like the empire has so such a far reach. Like when they find refuge in Cloud City, like the empire is able to corrupt one of Han Solo's oldest friends. You know, like yeah. their their pull is that yeah. uh, you know overreaching and like that it can't even corrupt your your old friend. And uh, and it's like it gives us like inevitability for the empire. Like no matter how far you run away, no matter how much you hide, you're gonna get caught. Yeah, and I love that how like the the empire is like this omnipresent like imposing villain and you know you you, you start that off with the adats and how like how much more imposing that those are from oh, it's an 1880s i'm sorry you, 1880s. You that's how you say it no you were right you're right i'm trying to i'm trying to you know join join me join <laughs> the adat side but, yeah so yeah no i i you know it makes the empire so much more um you know so much more of a threat because no matter what happens like they'll eventually catch you and uh like i i always thought that i really enjoy han solo's arc because the whole time he's you know he's trying to escape his fate like even in the beginning he's trying to he's, he's like oh you know the bounty hunter that got us it was a little too close i have to leave hoth and then, but he's like forced to stay and he like escorts Leia and they're escaping. Um, but he's always like one step ahead because of his resourcefulness. And he's just like, you know, he hides on the back of the, uh, the, uh, um, the Star Destroyer. Yeah. And like it gets scanned. <laughs> and like, yeah, he's always one step ahead. And then at the very end, you know, he's, he's like, um, he's like, you know, he accepts his fate. Like, there's nothing more he can do. He accepts that he's going to be taken in the carbonite. Like he can't, and uh, yeah, that he can't escape this this fate. That so I really appreciate that. That like 
as a character, he's always running away. And then at the very end of Empire, he accepts his fate. And so I think that's a great character arc for Han Solo. And so as crafty and as unescapable he is, there's one character, this is the novelization from the 80s, that catches him, and it is Boba Fett. We haven't talked about Boba Fett at all, and i got to mention i got some Boba Fett behind me. But I was reading, in preparation for this, um, the novelization. I just thought it was interesting, right? It describes all the different uh, bounty hunters, and it says, um, there was also standing next to notorious Boba Fett. Boba Fett, a human bounty hunter, Fett was known for his extremely ruthless methods. He was dressed in a weapon-covered, armored spacesuit, the kind worn by a group of evil warriors defeated by the Jedi Knights during the Clone Wars. I just thought that was so interesting when I read it, how, like, even in the novel, it teases the Clone Wars. You know, obviously, the, the his backstory probably wasn't established yet, and I don't think George Lucas had in mind. Um, but he, he's worth talking about because he's, like, the ultimate character that in all of Star Wars that kind of took off on its own. And now you have, you know, I have a Mandalorian behind me. Like that exists because Boba Fett's so cool. And it spawned all this stuff. Like a lot of the, um, he's so unnecessarily cool. He has two lines in this movie. (laughs) Yeah. He's no good to me dead. And then, yeah, but he's, he's the one that catches up to Han Solo that he like, uh, you know, walk away in the trash. There's, yeah, you know, there's Bosk over here that was there. Boba yeah, because none of the like, other bounty hunters are even close. But Boba Fett's yeah. the one that got Boba Fett's the one that was a step smarter than Han Solo. That's true. You know? Yeah, that's like yeah. always to me like what made it stand out because Han Solo is like the craftiest person in the galaxy. Yeah, it's like the number one smuggler that we. Yeah, you know. who's the guy who figured out what he was gonna do? Boba Fett. Yeah, like true. that's what I always loved about that Mr. character, Mister Buckethead. Yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah, I mean the character design, Boba Fett is like amazing. It's probably like one of the best designed characters in, in all all time. And designed originally for the holiday special. Was really? Like, oh yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, a holiday the, special the, the, cartoon the, 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 with him in it. It's pretty cool. Segment, yeah, awesome. It's really cool. And they would later do some like the droids and Ewoks cartoons with Lucasfilm, but the company that made that, um, it's really an interesting. The cartoon's that, worth watching. That droid show, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, kid, and though, I thought the Star Trek animated series was bad. As a little kid in the 80s, though, that was, like, significant to me when I was very little. I remember those cartoons. Like, I remember the Ewoks cartoon before I remember, like, probably the Ewoks movie, honestly. Like, or Battle of so Endorf. Yeah, it's, like, all in context of when you kind of sort of yeah, absolutely. it, you know? If I saw it now and had never seen it, I'm like, wow, this is bad. Because I can see how it is, but it was also that nostalgia for it. So let's talk about the the conclusion of this. I, I wanted to get a quick mention of Boba Fett. Of course, you know, absolutely. We don't need to go in depth, but let's 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 wrap this up with the most shocking climax in cinema history, which is one of those things we've talked about. You talked about early Tyler. You yeah. can't unknow what you know, so it's really hard to see it that way because I don't remember ever not knowing that he's the father. But just try to imagine that where the main bad guy, the flip is he is the hero's dad Yeah. in that moment. Like, in, in, in the execution of it, when you watch it, it's, it's still powerful. But I cannot imagine, like, it's hard for me to even go back in that mind to being an audience, how shocking that would be. Like, I yeah. just can't even kind of wrap my head around that. But I mean, so- I, I, I read, I mean, I've read, like, you know, stories and stuff like that where everybody was just, like, freaking out and screaming and people, like, stood up in their seats and were excited, like, I mean, that's pretty much how I felt when I was watching Endgame for a lot of it, especially when 
when Cap gets Mjolnir. It's it was just one of those moments, just like, oh my god, what? Like, like you know, like, ah! like it's just yeah. So I can imagine it'd be kind of the same thing. I haven't seen that movie yet. Is it good? Uh, you know, <laughs> not not many people have seen it. It's a very indie movie. Yeah, it's yeah. It's uh, yeah. It's a. It's a Produced by A24. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah, it's, probably, yeah. It, 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 it starts Robert, uh, Robert Downey II and uh, <laughs> Christopher Evans and. <laughs> um, Mark Ruffalo. William Hemsworth? <laughs> <laughs> Christopher Hemsworth. Christopher oh, I, Pratt. I, I think, Christopher. So I, I was wondering, like, whose idea was it to. Who's, who's the, the person responsible? them to say hey uh, darth vader is the father like whose uh, idea was it? so the story that they keep saying over and over and over again was george lucas had asked james earl jones to come in after he recorded uh georgia or um luke i killed your father and he said we're changing it this is a story that i've i've like i think even george lucas has said i think this is, this is his words of when he said they called james earl jones back in and basically, and then I was—I think there was three people in there. It was the sound engineer, James Earl Jones, and George Lucas, and they recorded it. And of course, Kasdan and somebody else was there and said, "I guess um, gave it the okay." So Maybe I'm wrong. When, when that part is probably true, but when they shot it, Mark Hamill did know. So Kirshner pulled Mark Hamill aside mm. and told him. That's now, right. Because Kirshner's right. like, Kirshner's like, now he's going to say the, the lines in the script, but I need you to react. Like he's saying this, so Kirshner pulled him aside. So, like, I think the only people who probably knew were uh, Gary Kurtz. I'm assuming the producer, Kirshner for sure, Kasdan, and Lucas. And I believe it was Lucas. Like, it was Lucas's idea. So, as he was developing the story, right? Like, I mentioned how there was a draft of the script where Anakin shows up as a ghost, right? But the the father Skywalker, who wasn't, I don't even think was named Anakin. Yet. I don't even think he had a name. Yeah, I don't so, think he had a name either. But Father Skywalker shows up as a ghost in the Lee Brackett draft. So that's like the first draft that was written in like 78, right? So when he shows up and he kind of has a talk, but it's similar to what Obi-Wan does. So there was a version where you have the ghost father, right, of Anakin or Father Skywalker. And then you also have like ghost Obi-Wan because originally Obi-Wan wasn't going to be killed off. He was going to be the training then the Yoda role or like that was the vision. And then he decided to kill him off because he's like, well, it's better dramatically if he dies here. And so didn't also Alec Guinness just fucking hate it too. No, but he, he but he didn't hold a grudge because like he came back for the sequels basically for free because he made so much money yeah. off the first movie that he was like cool with it. Like, oh, you know, uh, like there's oh, there's cool. the joke where he's like like a kid that would come up to him and be like, oh, I've yeah. seen Star Wars a hundred times and he's like, you've wasted your life. There's that story. But I don't think like <laughs> I don't like, think that was, was true. Yeah, I don't think so either. But I think he was kind of like okay with it because it like you know, gave his family generational wealth is kind of how he viewed it. Um, so, but basically you only need one ghost mentor character, right? And so George Lucas, as they're developing it, I think it was whenever he, my take is there was, you know, the Lee Brackett draft, then the George Lucas draft, and then the Kazan draft. I think when he's developing that draft, he's realizing, okay, I've, what I can really have here, what makes the most sense and what is the most powerful is he's the father. Like he didn't just kill his father; he is his father. Yeah, like that's I mean, it's brilliant. You know, and I think I think that he just came to that conclusion naturally, working his way through the process of the story. 
That's if it wasn't nice. if it wasn't so brilliant, we if it if it wasn't so brilliant, it wouldn't be talked about all the time or referenced. No, totally. all the time. It, it, it comes up in conversations with friends. Like that's people how who have never seen people have never it was. Seen, people who have never seen Star Wars know Knows that. It. Yeah, know that that's like, and even though, like you said, it's hard, like it's hard to not know it. They know that's the big sort of twist to it. That moment. Go ahead, Paul. And what's interesting is like there's a uh, kind of brief hints like. It they you know they do set it up a little bit in Star Wars and then through Empire like I remember in Star Wars Owen's like uh, he's too much like his father oh that's what I'm afraid of um, and then like you know and then there's the the Dagobah cave you know where that kind of in a way is foreshadowing that maybe there's more of the relation with Darth Vader and, and I think Luke. the cave was definitely and, was definitely like, like like we said it was in the final draft of the script so it was the it funny was thing that. is yeah the cave was that exactly the cave was like hint hint <laughs> yeah like it sets it up and then they just plug it in there cuz it works so well you mm-hmm. know and they already had the setup built in from the original Star Wars and 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 the, well, the, and the only conflict though Empire. is 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 there's a certain the one problem is why did Yo, why did Obi Wan then now lie to Luke? Yeah, you know that's the kind of the one kind of hole it creates because what was his you know like in in, in he kind of explains it in Return of the Jedi is like oh I was trying to protect you from it but it's kind of a flimsy yeah <laughs> sort of uh didn't want you to be hurt by the truth that's the one kind of thing that to me it says i think a better line would have been i made a lot of mistakes sorry kid <laughs> like, yeah. like i lived in a desert by myself for a shit ton <laughs> of years sorry and here's the thing i would love to see like you know with the obi-wan series that's one thing they could explore like what's the motivation that he would like yeah you know make it work within I the reality that... of like why would he lie to him yeah i think I if agree. obi-wan did tell him that i think it would just kind of been paralyzing like he wouldn't be able to do anything like i mean it makes yeah. it, it makes better sense. though it makes when, sense, when you're listening your hand off and tells you like yeah what's the better way to hear that information when darth vader's chopping you in half on a best game yeah. who's chasing you around the galaxy and around the universe and everything like that no like yeah it's yeah it, it was that was bad on obi-wan but <laughs> that's neither here nor there i guess so what are you guys what are, any final thoughts you have on empire strikes back well, you know, it was a nice little movie that uh, that a couple people got to see, and um, you know, I really hope maybe it has a, a, a resurface. You know, maybe it might influence a couple people's lives. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I think it's a monster. I think I actually think it's in, insanely better than A New Hope, and I love A New Hope. I really do. I just think Empire Strikes Back on n- not only redefined um, how to make a sequel. Uh, how to how to tell a sci-fi story because it was unlike it, it this was the most different sci-fi ever was i would say like um the day the earth Should still was the day there Should still when it came out was this big mind fuck of like wait this is sci-fi too and like it was this whole like it, it doesn't have to be you know fights and in lasers and all this other stuff it can just be an alien trying to learn w- what we are and to give us a message with an ending that is a little violent, I guess, but it's two minutes of a movie of that's like an hour and a half of just following an alien trying to understand and to give us a warning. And this movie was this whole other thing of storytelling and different kind of sci-fi with a bigger budget and a lot crazier. It's just a lot crazier. A movie where a Muppet 
becomes this loving character that really impacts you and dies and you cry or you get really emotional and choked up from it's a movie where we finally have a female character that is such a badass at the end where she doesn't care if a big teddy bear is about to rip off a guy's head you have luke who is a very broken relatable character that you saw in the first movie become even more broken and relatable in this movie and lose in the end you get a movie where everybody loses in the end and they're just like womp womp <laughs> see you in the next movie and then you have this um this crazy awesome twist that is remembered and echoed constantly 30 40 years later it's insane great movie i give it uh great movie three out of ten i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> oh well. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, nine out of ten. This is my second favorite Star Wars movie, and I had mentioned earlier that the Last Jedi is my favorite Star Wars movie, and that's for a different episode, I believe. We, it, we'll okay. Yeah, we'll go into that in detail yeah, in another in episode detail, in the future. Yeah, yeah, I think Empire. Um, yeah, is a fantastic movie. Um, it's that movie that uh, I think has really held Star Wars together and made it like a cultural phenomenon, something that's important. Um, all like for you know, forty years later, and uh, you know, everybody can kind of see a little bit of Luke in themselves, or Han Solo, or Leia, and uh, these are just really strong characters. And like the really the the strength of the characters are the, the strength of the relationships. You know how their friendships define each other, and um, you know, it it just it really this movie is like a lightning in a bottle. <laughs> Like to, um, I'm just kind of cliche or whatever, but yeah, it's really like a lightning in a bottle. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's something that I'll always revisit every time from time to time. Um, and yeah, no, I just, I just love this movie. I don't know. I think it's great that we tackled this one because it's really great to talk about it. And Especially since uh, it's, it's the, it's the anniversary year of it. Like it's like I'm, a crazy big year for it. And you know, Mando, yeah. the Mandalorian's kind of the big thing now so star wars uh is kind of universally beloved again it's like (laughs) like right now like for the Mandalorian, it's pretty well loved yeah that's true i was gonna say like i think clone wars and and rebels were pretty loved by the star wars fans but not by like yeah 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 that's a thing yeah exactly Um, and and that's the thing my sincere hope my sincere hope is that at some point empire will be bested or equaled by something that comes out from star wars you know, I hope at some point that might happen. Uh, hasn't happened yet. It has not happened yet, but, Tyler. Oh, is that right? It hasn't happened yet. Oh, but, is, that, uh, is that right? Oh, okay. But, There's you know, episode, buddy. I'm right. hoping that, you know what I mean? Because it's, yeah, I, I just I just love this movie. It works on so many levels, and that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, for me, it's, it's not just my favorite Star Wars film. It's my favorite film. It's my favorite movie. It just is. I love everything about it. I mean, obviously... As Star Wars is great, but you know, as I grow up, it's really cool to see how it's just a it's just big spectacle, but it's a character driven movie. That you know, we talk about how it starts big and it just gets smaller and more personal, even though it's still a big fight at the end. It's just between two individuals, and it's about characters and character growth and how they change through the course of these things. How the, the you know Luke is so broken down and how he comes through it and all, like all those things just come together perfectly in this movie. As Paul said, it's you know lightning in a bottle. It's just my favorite film. Um, it's also cool because so Penny loves Ray. My daughter Penny loves, loves, loves Ray. It's her favorite character. She has a costume of Ray. She loves, loves, loves Ray. I love Ray too. I love Ray without, but she 
if we like we'll watch go on disney plus and like want to watch a star wars movie she picks empire strikes back every time not quite sure why but i'm always like super happy to watch the most like arguably like the heaviest like least child friendly of all the star wars movies in a lot of ways so because she knows, yeah, but she, yeah, exactly. She just, she, she just gets it. I, she just gets I, it. I definitely will say this is the most universal. Like, it's like my argument. I've said this before on, on on the show. I think Empire Strikes Back is the better film. It's it is the better made film. It it it's. But I Last Jedi to me is my favorite Star Wars movie. It's the one I like enjoying. It's the one I like more. It's the one that surprises me more. More. It's the one that that kept me kind of going and got in and, and and yeah, just surprised me and kept me more entertained. It's like my, what I say about Tim Burton, I think big fish is his masterpiece. I think it's just a masterpiece film. I think it's just his best filmmaking, the best writing, the best editing, the best, everything that came together made it a, his best film in a masterpiece. However, I would watch Ed Wood 10 times, you know, 10 times in a row before I watch big fish again. I, I love watching big fish. It's great. But I love Ed Wood, and it's like so much. It, that's just my favorite Ed Wood movie, and I think that's how it is with Empire. I think Empire is the better made film. I think it is the better, like 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 watching it and or comparing it to quality and everything like that. It is it's it's an ungodly amazing masterpiece. But The Last Jedi is just my favorite Star Wars movie because of just a lot of other reasons that we'll talk about in, uh, teasing for the next episode. Maybe next yeah. month. <laughs> Come back, same bat time, same bat channel. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Uh, also, I think that Empire Strikes Back would have been better with a little bit more B. Arthur in it, but that's just me. Um, oh, it's definitely just you. <laughs> uh, Josiah, mm-hmm. where can they find Josiah is Right? You can find me, Josiah is Right. And by the way, so make sure you like Josiah is Right on YouTube, or subscribe rather, and then subscribe to this channel, and you could be entered to win a t-shirt. And I should have wore a t-shirt, but I wore my Star Wars shirt. So next time we do one video, I will show you an example of one of our t-shirt opportunities. So uh, we'll multiple t-shirts, at least three, Popmosis, uh, Grand Geek Gathering, and a Josiah is Right t-shirt. So be sure to subscribe to both channels and comment mm-hmm. on this video or any of our Popmosis videos. Alrighty. Actually, um, so I actually wanted to de- dedicate this episode to my friend Kevin. He's been asking uh, if we were going to do um, Empire Strikes Back, and so I just want to dedicate this episode to him. I think and I dedicated already... it to my daughter already. Yeah. So. Oh, did you really? No. Sorry, 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 Kevin. Yeah, so... Sorry, man. <laughs> dedicated to Kevin. Thanks for listening, and we no, appreciate. No, thank you for listening, yeah. Kevin. I'm just trying to make a joke about. <laughs> it's okay, Kevin. Uh, Last Jedi is way better than Empire Strikes Back. I'm joking. Kevin's I'm joking. Like, Kevin's oh, like, I have no wow. interest in that yeah. <laughs> And on that note, thank you for listening. And you can check out all of our shows and offerings on thegrandgeekgathering.com. And you can watch other podcasts and other videos on this channel right here. So please like and subscribe. All of our podcasts are available on all podcast services and apps. And also, we are, we are found on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and also on our Discord. Join our Discord and join in on the fun. I also stream on Twitch. The music has been provided by Carlisle Laurent. Have a wonderful week. Wear a mask. And GGG. Oh, also, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Oh, yeah, happy Thanksgiving. Episode, which is when the uh, holiday special originally premiered. It was premiered... Like the night of after Thanksgiving or before Thanksgiving. Fun fact. Nice. And we're out. What's on the silver screen? I got some takes you wouldn't believe. Ah,
Grand Geek Gathering.